Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of Euphoria. Once again, being produced, yeah, produced remote. Strong start for me. Produced remote. I'm Dracos. Yamato Cannon is down into the left of me and directly below me in the world of cameras is Maurice Amazing Stuckenschneider. Strategic coach, I believe the title yeah, for Misfits Gaming. Well, I'm excited to have you here. And before we, uh, I don't know, jump into the world of League of Legends, which I'm sure everyone's excited to hear about. How how's everybody doing personally? Being cooped up all day, every day, hiding from the sun, like it's like it's we haven't done it for years prior to this. Oh, um, no, I mean, could be better, could be better for sure. I think uh, I think the players are starting to feel it that they're like uh, getting more burned on than usual, especially not being being able to go gym, not being able to like honestly go outside together doing stuff. I think uh, they definitely feel it, but I think the day to day business hasn't really changed for us, so we're still doing doing the work that we're supposed to do and. Uh, making sure that our team is going to be the best they can be. Dang. Yeah, I feel kind of the same, even on our end. We're kind of just, I'm I'm sitting home mostly, but the freedom not, not being able to go outside and do things that you want to do on occasion, I think it's, you can definitely feel it, especially because I self-quarantined and I was just staying in this room, which is not that exciting. And uh, I think I was borderline going insane, but uh, then you kind of find your rituals again. You mm. make sure you, you you shower and you put on, a cap in this case, and then you keep cool, you know, you figure it out. <laughs> I mean, Corona doesn't make you stop showing, bro. But <laughs> I want the sense of, you know, you go insane because you, you don't get to go outside. You have nothing yeah, to do. Enough, so you're working from home, you know. You wear so. sweatpants every day. You don't yeah. really need to get dressed. <laughs> your standards for yourself, I do feel like they drop. Respect to you, Amazing, for like keeping your standards up. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I'm with you, Yamato. I had to like, Force cool. myself to get dressed every day, not just wear the same pajamas all day, every day. It's it's so, so bizarre. Uh, but interestingly enough, as our league continued last week, coverage was uh, a bit shaky, but I think we got there in the end. And sadly, at the end of this week for these teams at the bottom four, they went from, you know, playing their hearts out to fight for playoff seating to all four of them being knocked out as our top six is now now locked. I wanted to talk kind of one last time about Schalke, Vitality, XL, and SK um, before they're all gone. After this, we'll never speak about them again for the rest of the season because there's no reason to. Um, but yeah, kind of just, uh, wow, I'm blanking on words today. Funeral? Funeral's not the right one. <laughs> it's a funeral. It's there was a less harsh, there was eulogy. eulogy. That was yeah. it, eulogy. The less harsh version of funeral. That was the word that I was looking for. Thank you, Maurice. Um, so looking back on the split, I want to know, are any of these teams like we always talk about spring split teams and summer split teams? You know what I mean? And there's always those teams that kind of ramp up over spring and then you have hopes for summer. Are any of these teams that like are, are we holding out hope for any of these lineups? Excel was pretty solid, just kind of outside. But what do you guys think? Who stands out to you? Uh, I think personally, Schalke. I've hoped for Schalke because they have had such an such a strong end to the split. Um, and although they kind of figured out the style that they want to play, I think it's really similar to last year, honestly, when Spring had a really volatile style where they had like, I mean, the mental combination with uh, like like with the whole roster didn't work out simply because they were just relying on counter picks too much. And I think we kind of saw the same thing this year where um, like when they had forgiven, they were relying on Quadland counter picks and then suddenly realized that this doesn't work. Jungle can't really control the game. Gillis wasn't quite the, the jungle they were looking for. And they always revert back to the same style, which is basically the control-heavy style in the summer. And I think towards the end of spring, they've definitely shown that already. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think Schalke definitely, like, I think the second half winner ratio is, is, is positive. Like, they started the season with the Brazil 1-7 with a victory over G2. Mm -hmm. I think uh, if we continue on to the other teams, I think XL is pretty much like the exact same team as, as last year, but with an improved bot lane. I think Patrick has played super, super well, but it's the same issues remain. And uh, I was quite surprised because I thought with the addition of, of, of Young Buck, I thought everything would kind of shape out to be different. I expected growth. I think Axel kind of delivered the, the same thing over and over. Of course, we can't know what's going on on the inside. I'm not making any kind of assumptions here, but Axel, strong early game. Also, the games mid to late game looks very, very uh, clueless in a lot of cases. Even the game against Vitality that they played. Uh, two weeks ago, they almost lost, but they just got carried because they had the draft. I remember you put out the tweet, tweet amazing. And um, I was quite disappointed by this. But it, but in the end, this is a roster that is filled with veterans. And um, 
they are players with a lot of experience and when you have uh, players with that much experience that can't figure out the basics of how to to win out games i would be kind of worried you know it's it's interesting to me that like those are the two names that you jump on. Um, we'll, we'll bring up our SK and Vitality in a second here, but this sounds super disappointing to be completely honest. I think you guys are stating it like kind of lightly, but to me, the Schalke one is interesting because I I don't know like I don't see the same carries over or carryovers where Excel it's like mostly the same team, right? Obviously, you can say different bottom lane, but it's the same top side. Should is this a situation where like Excel have to make radical changes? Do you think coming into the next split? Because if we saw the same thing last summer, maybe slightly worse, you could argue, right? It's slightly better now. Is is there hope for either of you guys that if we keep the same roster, keep the same setup, that coming into summer that this is a playoffs contention team, or is this a team that's just going to sit at seventh unless other teams around them get worse? I mean, I think they have hope. Uh, it's clearly dependent on the meta, though. I think so far what they've shown in spring is like trying to make this early game style work, and clearly the players are not really fit for it because they keep throwing mid game. Uh, I don't think that the players are in, like inherently bad at team fighting, but it's more about that they don't understand how to snowball leads properly. So um, I think on team fight champions they've shown some prow- prowess. I think especially Tora and um, and Kato are more late, late game players in general. I don't see them as early game players at all. Like the mechanics, are, like decent but they're not great but they have good team fight understanding and i think if the meta shifts it also assists young buck a lot more because he has always been the one that um i mean one coach where uh, you don't win late, mid to late games against because his drafts are really good in that kind of regard and he understands the meta uh in those scenarios a lot better than if it's an early game meta he has never been an early game coach in my opinion also to add on that it's always like in the middle of a season it's uh, difficult to make radical changes and i think the issues that lie with excel is i think usually when you figure out a way to play the early game because i think excel still managed to like claw their way through like they had 2k leads coming into the mid game and then i think the way they control space has just been rather weak i think there's been a lot of scenarios where they're in a position where they need to control mass space and they're kind of just taking mid prio and then that's it. They don't walk with the wave. They let the enemy decay declare it for free while everyone else is just chilling in bushes and waiting for the enemy to uh, start gnashing or aim for the 50-50. I don't think they control space correctly. And I think this gives teams a lot of breathing room. I remember the game against Fnatic as well, the first one of the split. It was also uh, a game that was supposed to be over after that uh, double kill onto GP, but nothing kind of came out of it. And I think the key thing for me in terms of their players, I feel like Mickey and, and Expect are very, very inconsistent. The performance is really, really up and down. And I think uh, this weighs very heavy on Excel. So in terms of like player quality and making changes, I wouldn't be that drastic because I still have faith in in the in the process of, of, of Youngbug based off of his experience and in the past. I think these are issues that you can definitely address because even from our point of view and from my point of view, like I watch Excel games, but they see so much more and I think it's easy to assess what their problems are. It's not this situation where everything kind of just goes bad. Like if someone asked me, what is the problem of SK? I would be like, ah, mm. you know, you know, I don't know where to start, brother, you know, because it's very little to work with. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. What? Why not though? Let's let's like let's let's hit a little bit on the, the, the SKs and Vitalities of the world. We can round out with Shalko, but I think that like, Obviously, both of these teams had awful splits, like just just terrible. And I'd say that at this point, the only team that has looked worse to me than this Vitality team and this SK team is the Schalke that was playing right before they started swapping players out. When it was like full solo queue and everyone was like, we don't even know what they're doing on stage. I think it was like week three was like the last time we really got to see that still going. Um, So what, Jacob, obviously you, you formerly worked for Vitality. Actually, this is great. Maurice, you formerly, uh, or you didn't formally play for SK. I was going to say Schalke again. Anyway, we've got one one half of the, uh, the quadrant here. But I'm curious, like, what if you guys were coaching these teams, if you're working with these teams, what what do you do after a split like this, if you're Vitality or SK? Oh, I think Vitality, it's, it's weird because I think they've shown glimpses of good things. I think the biggest issue with Vitality is, I think a lot of those losses weighed on them. They had visa issues. 
And uh, I think uh, on top of that, like Saken was pretty much playing LFL, LEC at the same time. And I don't know how he pulled that off. Uh, Like just a lot of craziness for Vitality in general. And then week by week, I felt like they were always trying something new in in terms of trying to find their identity. And it's like, if we compare last year's Vitality, when we had team issues, eventually when you want to put wins on the board, you need to have like a set way of, of winning, you know? And we had a lot of success with with just playing through Cabo Shard, which made us a very limited team coming into playoffs, but we knew how to put wins on the board. And I think always week by week, I feel like we they are trying something different. They're just throwing something on the wall just to see what sticks. Sometimes they play through bottom or it doesn't work. The dive fails. Next game, they try to play through top. I think when you're in that position, you need to just simplify and try to play the same way every game because this is the most efficient way of learning when you haven't mastered anything, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of teams actually go through similar issues. I think Vitality's issues are just a bit more pronounced due to the fact that obviously they have uh, like a really rookie team and then they have uh, moving pieces, like especially with Jack and Sealback now, uh, that kind of come in and out and then Seiken now with Selfie. So I, I think the issues are more pronounced, but I think a lot of teams are just going through that non-identity phase where right now they don't really know how they're playing. They don't know what to do. Um, I think we actually have similar issues, to be fair, like we're not... Uh, like we don't have a clear-cut identity anymore, even though in the beginning of the split we had it. And it's partially due to the meta shifts too, where if you think about how tanks now have become more and more active in the top lane, you've had like less less top set action, so bot sides become more dominant. And suddenly you're in a position where, hey, if you lose bot prior, you lose the health, you lose this and that. So I think Vitality's issues um, obviously come from the fact that they have like overall just a weaker roster than I expected, because I thought the players were going to be better but also due to the meta shifts forcing adaptations quickly right now where you have to shift from top to bottom styles and Kabushad has always been the top dominant top laner. And Kabushad himself kind of talked about waiting for um, something to click. And that was like the, the story that he told us, uh, Yamato, when he came on PGO. He's waiting for the longest time for something to click with this roster. Is this a situation where you think your vitality, you, like you put your faith in that moment where you wait to click? Or is this a situation where because some of those players are maybe weaker than expected, you start to look at pulling players off the team, making roster changes to do that, to find something that will make this team kind of mesh together coming into summer? I think there is a sense of, you know, I think that the whole clicking part is usually, like I've been in, I've been working in, in, in teams in the past where things haven't gone well, right? And during those times, all of the things that you know how to do well and you can do well, usually does get shown, right? And when you're in that position, if you figure out one thing, like, for example, when we replaced Gilius with Kikis, all of a sudden, everyone looked better, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not only because Kikis performed better than Gilius, it's just because everyone else had the opportunity to also do what they know to do better, right? And that's the case of things clicking. But there is a fine line where you can't just wait and rely on it because you need to have kind of a clear path. And I felt like Vitality was definitely lacking in this. Because I think in terms of... Like, I think you had a very good point in terms of adaptation. I felt like this split was very adaptation heavy. I felt like every week the meta shifted. One week Orn is OP, the next one he isn't, the next one he is. And it was just over and over. Like, I think a lot of teams capitalized on just drafting better, like at the first six weeks, I think. And um, I think this is something that Vitality definitely couldn't, like, keep up with. And I think it was a really, really big challenge. And I could really recognize that even looking from outside that, oh, this is this is hard. You know, come into a week. I, rem- I remember I have many flashbacks of weeks where like, oh, Tamkin's top is OP and we just lost the game because we just didn't know. And uh, that happens sometimes, right? No, I agree. I think, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of champions have gone up and down in the priorities. Like, Orin is a good example. I think even, even jungle champions, like the whole jungle pool. And I think that's also been really bad for them too, where... I think uh, Skeens is really good on certain champions, especially when they carry heavy. I think once it moves more into Sejani, Gragas, uh, Jarvan, like, then he becomes a lot weaker and he doesn't really perform to the standard that they used to. To me, it sounds a lot like it's just kind of this perfect storm of problems to mm. kind of keep vitality down. I'm curious if, like, if the same is true for SK, because SK is a really interesting team for me. This mm. is a team that, like, there are players that I was very excited about on this Interesting. roster. Mm. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, you guys can be more blunt than that if you want. But this is what I'll say. I was excited for Gen X at the start of the split. I'm not excited anymore. Sorry, buddy. 
pretty pretty terrible split. Uh, Crown Shot still seems like the best individual player on the team. Sakre, despite losing every single lane and being put on Orn, um, you know, for the entire first half of the split, just got subbed out last week when they were already knocked out. So this whole this whole project is bizarre as hell to me. We we expected this team, I think, Maurice, you weren't in these discussions at the start of the season, but maybe you shared the same opinion, to be pretty low based on the kind of bits and pieces that they put together, you know, pulling yeah. in Trick as good as Trick has been, um, you know, as someone else cast him aside, uh, trying desperately to put a roster together. But, like, what, what do, how do you guys feel about SK? What do SK do now to kind of recover coming into summer? You want to go? I can, I can do it. <laughs> Fly. So... I definitely think that they should implement more more players from the academy team. I think um, if you're already that lost, where you go, where they have like 10 losses in a row right now, I think you just have to swap pieces. You just have to go through it. And I think the overall process for SK, I don't know how the hiring process went, obviously, but um, I think the roster itself was obviously weak to begin with, which is one issue because they haven't shown like anything last year. And besides Conshot and Trick was, was also someone that has always been like good on, on teams where... Like he has been good on teams when they they had veterans, they had a lot of like veteran talent, and he could play around it. But if he's on a rookie roster, what is he gonna do? Like he's not a mechanical jungler, so he's not gonna carry. So I think you may as well just do a complete overall and see what where that leads you. Not saying that any of those players don't deserve to be in LEC, but I think the overarching like just um, excitation just makes it so uh, academy players will probably be a better fit for their current uh, like. I mean, honestly, standings, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you completely. I think, like, sometimes you're just in a position where it's better to take risks because what is what is the gain? Like, what is, what is the light with this roster? And I think it's very difficult to see. I think it was very difficult to see at the beginning of the split as well. Yeah. And, uh, like, I agree that, that Crown Shot has been, like, a, a good light, but uh, in terms of what an AD carry can do by himself or anyone, for that matter, by himself, in the current state of the game, it's it's very difficult, and uh, I think you could see even even in Venter or Ventair or whatever his name Venter, is, Venter, Venter, yeah. Like I think he played decent. Like watching him, uh, looking at his individual play, I think he played all right. And I think sometimes uh, if you have a situation within a team, a dynamic where everyone is just in this dynamic, you lose over and over. It gets exhausting. It gets tiring, especially when you don't see that light, which yeah. I think this is a sentiment that most of the players on SK share. And when I saw Venter play, you saw it was refreshing. I felt yeah. like it was very similar with Sealback on Vitality. When you bring them in, they see it as an opportunity again. They haven't been through all of that pain and hardship and exhaustion. They are there to, like, oh, this is an opportunity for me. I can prove something. I think it definitely showed in Steelback's play. I showed uh, It showed in Venter's play. So I echo the sentiment of just uh, take some risks on your on your players. Uh, it's it's the time to do it. Like, I don't some, know what. Yeah, for sure. I don't know fire. what their academy looks like. Do you know their academy? Is it good? It's. I mean, they've been kind of bad the split as far as I know. I think. I mean, I think Frenic is uh, like Frenic is for example the jungler for the academy team who has been like in the German team forever. I think he's actually decent on his level. And they have. Um, I think they have Tiger Tiger on, on ADC or support something like that. Like I, I just don't I just remember that Fennec, at least someone someone like that who gives a bit of fire for the team, you know, would would probably help them. Like they the 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 weird conundrum for the whole team is just simply that like they they have young players partially, but they play it really old. Does that make sense? Like they play yeah. <laughs> they play as if they're like in their fifties, you know, and their backs are already broken and they come into work, you know, with like all kinds of health issues, you know, cough into every microphone, you know, and then they, they play these games out, you know, so it's just like um, they have to just get some fire in, under the asses, to be fair, and they have to do something that basically gets them going. And I think someone like Venture has always already been a good addition. They just need more, more of that. I mean, so that, I mean, aside from the old man commentary, um, which I'm just going to use anytime anyone is just like slowly dying in a League of Legends game and their team is slowly just getting worse, just saying they're playing old man League of Legends. Mm. Um, but I mean, aside from that, it just sounds like, yeah, SK just need a complete refresh. Now, the last team, and to me, the most interesting uh, team is, is Schalke. And this is one where Maurice already kind of talked about them reverting to old playstyle habits. But to me, this looked like the best of the bottom four teams by the end of the split. How do you, how did you, how do you guys think about about the Schalke roster overall. Because while Excel finished with a better scoreline, Schalke looked damn good 
actually yeah. in the last few weeks. They beat us too. So uh, I mean, I think they're. I think what what changed for them is simply the approach to the game. I think before that they try to please forgiven almost, and I think that's what you have to do when you play on a forgiven forgiven team. It's just how it is. Like he he has a certain play style. It's not changing for years now, and it's always like the the wave management he has is like really outdated. So. You have to compensate for that. Like his abilities are good. Obviously, his team fighting is great. Like his individual powers are, are up there, but it's just that the whole team has to adapt to his playstyle. And I think he does generally does a weird job or bad job, honestly, at explaining his own playstyle and having other people cater to him. And it's it's like one of those things where if you overtake or you hijack basically your team's identity, you have to account for everything that you're doing and like and the team is doing. So and I think when forgiven plays, I think he doesn't do that. And it's more about the team adapts to him uh, and hopes that it works out. You know, so um, I think ever since changing him, the game, the team has has looked more like a team. I think they have lo- done a lot less like solo individualistic styles, and then with Lux instead of Gilius, has uh, it, it's the same thing again. Gilius is more individualistic; he's more uh, like doing what he wants to do. Whereas Lux, from especially from working him last year, he's someone that that caters to the team and to the team needs. You know, so I think they need more of that. So I'm, I'm curious, Maurice, your take on... Uh, so basically, I remember this Odoamna tweet, he was a bit upset about the fact that uh, it was mentioned that, uh, you know, Scrim Gods Schalke. How, how how much do you think it applies? Because I think Schalke played their best week. I think Lorox and Abedage usually don't play uh, that well. That could be for multiple reasons. That could yeah. be the two-week break. That could be the the whole uh, uh, the, the Scrim God complex. What do you think about uh, the whole uh, situation? With uh, do you think uh, Schalke is a Scrim God situation or just improvement and growth over these past two weeks? I think they weren't they weren't really that good in scrims before they changed the players. Honestly, I think Gillis was doing fine. I think Forgiven was doing fine too, but it's more like that the team just didn't work. It didn't click. So I think that's about it. I don't think there's necessary Scrim yeah. Gods, but and more recently as well, though. What do you think about the, the transfer? Like more recently, if we think about I mean, ever since Forgiven left. Mm, I think, I mean, I think it's improvement. I also think they're better in scrims than on stage, honestly, because they have kind of stage fight issues, um, which is to be expected if you have, like, I mean, we have had these comments about Abedaga, like, last year from Upset, I think, yeah. we talked about it. And then this, like, this year, I know Lurox personally, because I obviously, like, I brought him to the team last year. Um, and uh, from from working with him, he was also kind of shutting down a bit in some clutch situations. And I think that may just be alleviated by the fact that they're at home now. So I think it plays into it. I don't think it's the main reason, though. Okay. Overall, um, Maurice, you're kind of focusing a lot about the the past kind of Schalke and kind of the early struggles with Schalke in the split, but it does feel like Schalke are on an upward trajectory. Obviously said they beat, you know, they beat G2. They beat you guys. So holding out a decent amount of hope. To close, to close this one out, uh, I want to reference one of our Twitter questions and get your guys' twig. And if... You gotta get you got you gotta give it to me straight because I'm gonna ask a difficult question or maybe a not so difficult question, but one that's gonna make PR answers quite difficult. Mm. Lixie at Solo Toast said, "Who is the worst team in the LEC at this point and why?" Is that even a question? Who is it? Like, is, it, by, is, it, SK, is it SK? 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 No, no question about it. Yeah, for it. sure, SK. SK is. Yeah. But SK they have an extra win. Team. But they're barely a team. Like they're just like with Vitality, you look at the team, you're like, hmm. Uh, they, there's like there's like something happening. You're like, yeah, they they could definitely win these games. And you watch SK, it's like from start to finish, it's just it's just not not good. It's just not fun. Like you look at them and you just like you just wanna like turn off the TV at that point, you know? Yeah, just inactivity, like complete flat line, no pulse, no nothing. When enemy is about to get the fourth Drake for the soul, that's when they blow the own horn and throw an Arnold, and they're like, yeah. nah, we can't engage on this. We're just gonna sit at Nexus, and then that's it. It's just, you know, whenever I saw their last drafts last week, I was like, okay, SK is going for an SK draft. Okay, not watching this one. I can talk about uh, if we do a post match analysis desk. I know already what's gonna happen, so it's all good. I don't need to look at this one. I'll take a break here. (laughs) Well, they definitely cured my insomnia. You know, like that's all I can say. <laughs> All right, boys. Thank you. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes I feel like you guys are so diplomatic in your approach. You're not, you know, you're not trying to bruise any egos. But I felt like the full force of your disappointment or boredom when it comes to watching SK. They're playing two more games this week, by the way, for anyone at home. So be sure to tune in. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> yeah, for, for, for a thrilling League of Legends. It's still meant to advertise LEC, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what they mean by Curtis Insomnia was they have... Never mind. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. All right, but that kind of that transitions us into the next thing. Um, before we start talking about top six, I wanted to take a take a break away from the more serious discussion and get some questions going from Twitter. Uh, thank you to everyone who submitted questions. We are going for more off-topic stuff today, but I'll be throwing in some questions kind of as we go through the show. Um, so first up, this one comes from I, it's S P E J L E, and I'm going to be honest, the the random J's in the middle of words, uh, Kubush. Spasia4 on Twitter. Sorry in advance if I pronounce your name wrong. It says, could my Clash team, this is a plat-level Clash team, beat an NALCS team if we played on the European server and we'd be at home in Europe, so they'd be on 35 ping, and NA teams would be in LA. Could a platinum-level 5v5 or 5s team beat an LCS team oh, on 130 no, no, no. ping? What? You really think so? It's in platinum. That's too bad. Well, I, I'll, let's let's wait. Plat. Okay, so it's just that their platinum is too bad. What what rank do you need to be to be a team, a professional team on 130 ping, when you have perfect ping? Let's say. Yeah, I mean, it also depends who you're talking about, right? Like, if you talk bottom tier, well, who's bottom tier LCS? It's Dignitas and CRG, and what is the other team? Well, it's CRG, no? Yes, CRG. Uh, okay, so I think for CRG, you need you need like, kind of like master tier probably. Like maybe grandmaster, bottom tier grandmaster. I think for Dignitas, you only need to be like you know challenger upwards. I think, but for CG, you can you can make. <laughs> you guys, you guys, you guys are making ping sound like such a non-issue. Because to me, I heard this and it's like, I feel like if the question to me, this is the same question as like, could you beat Usain Bolt in the running contest if you chopped off one of his legs? And I would say yes, yes, I could beat Usain Bolt in the running line. <laughs> or chop one of them. How like is 130 ping not an issue? Small, like how, that, that's like a couple of toes right there only that's not like yeah, whole, yeah. that's not the whole foot you know you, like it will, will cause some balancing issues you're like kind of like you know <laughs> falling over maybe once you know but i think i think it actually doesn't impact it as much like you can still i think communication is the difference between uh like channel grandmaster tier players and like the lc lcs lc anyway you know like most of the players are just able to anticipate and i think that makes a difference solo key players are not able to anticipate so ping doesn't really matter yeah there's also the point of uh, like I think usually like when you have like new teams like we would have five players that like a clash team would just imagine they are five randoms that get together maybe one knows each other from an ice cream shop where they met or something who cares uh, and <laughs> creating pathways to victory outside of solo queue is something that uh, takes time and I think even though like the the macro point of how you play the game is not going to change that much on ping I think also there is workarounds in terms of uh, like uh, there is workaround in terms of you can pick champions that don't uh, need like good mechanics, right? You can play like Heimerdinger and you can work it out. You know, you play on high ping and whatever. I do that in Brown, Flash. Sejani Brom, yeah. So I think I think even Challenger it would have like a challenge to to beat yeah. uh, the bottom teams, honestly. That's, but there's also like it's such a huge variance. Like you can have a good Challenger player and also like a one that like one trick scion by his full authority you know there's a big value that's a personal attack right there <laughs> <laughs> there's this there's a shen otp who keeps posting his videos and he's like i don't know he missed every taunt and still gets either because teams are just not respecting his ultimate so i'm like what the hell you know like there's definitely a difference between china players that's yeah, like yeah. some are good some are we you know you can throw them out instantly so it depends. It the depends. one tricks and the oh god, one tricks and the Shen one tricks and the X one tricks. Oh man, <laughs> it's like back in the day before Challenger when I, I would play a lot. Like your friends would be like, "Oh, I'm Diamond One." You'd be like, "All right, cool," but how much LP? And they're like twenty. You're like, "Oh, you suck." You're like sixty. You're like, "Well, that's pretty good." You're like eighty. You're like, "All right, this guy's legit." Eighty LP. Yeah. That's insane. Like I feel like it's the same thing for like, yeah, okay, you're challenger, but what are you challenger on? Oh, you're a one trick pony on Teemo. Uh, you know, okay. Alan. Was it Alan one two three? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I live two three four. Jesus Christ! Three, four. <laughs> yeah. So, doesn't quite mean the same amount. Um. Last question from Twitter for the day, uh, except for the ones that we'll put in later. Gabriel uh, Pinto Fanatic Q 
Gabraham. Gabraham. There it is. Uh, both amazing and Yamato are pros turned coaches. How has their career as players prepped them for coaching? What has changed in pro play since they're pro players? I want to focus on the second half of that question. What do you feel like has changed the most in pro play since you were both playing pro? Now, for you, Maurice, it's obviously very recent. And for you, Yamato, a little bit, a little bit further back in your career. I'm ancient. It's the good old Dragonborn. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we, we could have played together on that team, by the way. But I just declined the offer. I declined the offer. I was like, no, nope, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> you, you dodged the bullet there, man. Because <laughs> the gaming house, like a good, uh, that's a good place to start in terms of difference. Because the gaming house, like Shushe, like in the gaming house. Shusha's girlfriend was there, his mother was there, his whole family lived in the gaming house. He had a dog that, like, I was afraid of dogs at the time, that was, like, always staring at my food. The gaming house was terrible. Like, we had to borrow laptops from Fnatic. So I think, in general, the professionalism of everything, coaching staff, and uh, just the seriousness of everything, because even at the time, I was traveling back and forth. Like, I was going to, to school, and I was also playing at the, the same time i was like traveling to cologne and the flight there was just shit like 10 10 hours and uh, i think just the, the, the general uh just professionalism of everything coaching the idea of health the idea of longevity planning in in general creating as much efficiency as possible in every aspect of your gameplay instead of just oh let's get these guys in the same room playing on the same pcs but even at that time that was like insane like, oh, we have a gaming house. Wow, we can sit in the same room without our parents nagging us. <laughs> Holy moly. So it's like, if I look back at that, crazy. But if I looked at that back in season one, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a miracle. You know, this is my dream. So it's a, a constant evolution. I feel like it's slowed down a little bit in terms of like season one to season three differences, though. Because yeah, like, I mean, post like, by season five, parents probably weren't in the gaming house anymore. <laughs> By season eight, like you guys, there's chefs in the gaming house now. And that is a lot of progress, but it's still a gaming house, right? You're not like, I guess facilities are the biggest change, which a lot more yeah. teams are doing. Yeah, I think that's actually like the, the the separation of living space and workspace again. I think that's been the biggest difference in the last two years, I'd say. Uh, but I think overall, I think the media shifts have just been incredible, like how um, the game was like basically an individualistic game, I think season three, season four, where everyone could just solo carry. Like I remember my games when I was playing Lisa, and like every single game was just like I could I could win the game just by by being myself, like by just playing, you know. Nowadays you actually have to communicate, you have to talk about a lot of things more. Like there's so many more definitions nowadays of, of terms we didn't even use back then. Like tempo is a good one. Like tempo was introduced in season six, season seven. It wasn't it didn't exist before that. Like we're uh, like shifting, overloading these kind of things, like all of these th this terminology, and then on top of that, like how coaching actually works nowadays compared to back then. I think back then, like there were so many coaches that were basically just like um, bona fide team managers. I guess you know they're like uh, just giving some input here and there, maybe cook you a meal or two, you know. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> nowadays, nowadays, like um, like it's it's so it's just so different. Like coaching is actually meaningful. Coaching actually. Uh, requires like back knowledge, like discipline and understanding of the game. Whereas before that was more like, yeah, I guess you should just flash there, you know, two centimeters to the right so you wouldn't die there in this situation. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, that was my coaching. So, honestly, that was my biggest motivation, man. That was like my coaching experience in the past was like, there is every, every person that I work with during my time as a player was like, they were just shitting and spitting on the roll. You know, yes. it was like no respect at all. And it was like, okay, I'm going to go into the role and all of the snakes will eventually be filtered out, you know? And mm -hmm. I feel like we are slowly, slowly reaching the point where, you know, there is respect to the role and all of the people that don't belong are no longer uh, in, 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 the, in the scene. Uh, would so you want to name on uh, individually? Would you want to call someone out? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, they wouldn't hear this anyway. Sorry. They're not in the scene. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> well, in that case... <laughs> Look, so I'll just be honest. So I wasn't a snake, but I was like a... I did an analysis back in Season 3 for Niantanso when he played on CLG for a very small period of time. Because he's like, I want to be a great top laner. So he put a call out on Twitter for analysts. And I was like, I'm a genius. I understand League. I'm Keep in mind, at this point in my career, I'm gold, and I don't know shit about League of Legends. Oh, God, and I did, no, at, the, <laughs> at the time, I did not know. So it's me, this silver guy... And um, who's the current TSM coach? What's his name? Peter Zhang. Not Peter Zhang. God, what is his name? Former CLG coach. Eventually was a CLG head coach forever. Zixlaw. Tony. 
Zixlaw. Yeah, he's Zix, Yeah, Zixlaw was the third person. So the only person probably competent enough to be giving me an advice. And we have a Skype chat, and me and the silver kid are spamming him with advice. Yeah, Zach, Tony, the only guy who actually is qualified to do anything is saying literally nothing, probably DMing him separately because we're both idiots. I'm like, I'm looking at replays being like, look, man, I see that you're grouped with the team here, but like right now this camp is up. Like you need more money. You could just be going to this camp right now. Like, I don't know what you're doing, grouping with your team. Like we are not min-maxing your time effectively. And this is like, I'm the guy who's My like, goodness, flash, two centimeters to the right, you would have lived. You would you you could have done it, Nia, and that was the difference. <laughs> so you doomed Ben Adrakos. No, I'm kidding. But if <laughs> if he took if he chose to take advice from gold and silver, then honestly, that's on him. Honestly, right what is no, he no, smoking? No. But then again, coaches nowadays are partially actually like not like foreign players anymore. You know, so you that's technically true. have to take advice from silver or bronze. I think isn't it Peter Dunn like bronze five, bronze four, or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think that was something like that, you know? That is wild. All I'll say is, I sincerely hope he took none of our advice. I made yeah. him videos and spreadsheets and reports, and I've, I reread them back like a month ago. Maybe I'll put them out, and they're awful. I was, even by season three standards, a super moron at the time. I remember even within this next six months talking to other people, realizing I'm like, oh, oh, wave pressure. Oh, that's a thing. And I was oh, just God. like, I was just like, randomly quoting like whatever Monte Cristo had said on the LCK back to me and like he didn't watch it. I was like, these are the things you got to consider if you want to be good, like CJ, whatever. Yo, Dracos, did you put this on your resume afterwards? Coach, yeah. pro player. <laughs> I bring it up. I was like, whenever someone's like, you, you know, like you used to be a color caster. I was like, and an analyst. Don't forget about that. <laughs> so yeah, wow, the, uh, the snakes that you're talking about getting weeded out. At least one of them became a caster. So, oh my God, is, that, is that really for the better? <laughs> no, you see more audience. No. <laughs> I'll say I'm much more educated, and I definitely don't try to tell random pro players how to play the game anymore, except for when they're objectively running it down. Which, I'll let be the final point on my random tangent there. Let's let's get back to the LEC uh, and the state of top six. Top six is now locked. We've got uh, G2, Fnatic, OG, Misfits, Rogue, and Mad Lions. Seating is not locked. Position is not locked. But this, these are your top six teams. Um, and to kick things off, Yamato, you kind of have an assessment of Misfits that I would love for you to share so we can get Maurice's take on your take. Give it to me. So my read on you guys was, um, I think... The, the biggest strength that you guys had is um, like I, I love teams that play through through mids and create pressure through mid because the central is the quickest. You have options to play into either side. You can make defensive moves. You can make aggressive moves. I love that. I think it's 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 fantastic. Most of the games that I saw you guys play was was heavily into top side, and I think this was very rare in the LEC and globally in general because most teams had the habit of just like locking misfortune using the fact that you have good base timers, play on first drake into rift and so forth, just the easy, easy step-to-step -step basis. And the thing that I noticed the most was um, I felt kind of uh, similar to what you mentioned at the top of the show, that you guys uh, kind of lacked the identity. I think coming into this week, uh, some of the weakness in playing through bottom side was highlighted. I think uh, the Varos-Galio game looked very, very wonky. I remember the game against uh, Fnatic as well. Like, barring, of course, the, the TP mid lane situation, it was very, very close. And Pantheon, like, didn't get the kill on Vega. He got away and the GPTP got a red buff and it kind of collapsed the whole game. Yeah. Uh, just the whole idea of Pantheon splitting the map into both sides, I like the approach of, like, okay, they're trying to play into bottom and trying to create a situation where they dive, but it also kind of fumbled. So the weakness that I've always pointed out on broadcast was, okay, this is a team that is predictable in the way they play, and when they have to play through bottom, it looks uh, a lot weaker. And this is uh, uh, my assessment of mismatch. What do you think uh, about this? No, I think it's pretty accurate. I think the last couple of weeks, especially, we've tried to work on that because it's become an active thing where we're like, hey, what if teams actually figure us out? What if what teams actually, holistically speaking, just watch our pick bands, like how we approach it? And how like we usually sacrifice like um, 80 carry picks in the first two, like for example red side, so we could easily get counter picked. Like in these kind of situations, like you expose the bot lane. I think we've identified that for ourselves. Uh, it's also been um, a weird scenario where I think some of the momentum we had during the seven game win streak, obviously, has kind of gone to waste. So I think it could also just be fatigue overall, where we're like, um, I mean, 
we're still we're still a team that can obviously still play the game, but we're kind of fatigued by the fact that it's been such a long season. Some of the players had to come from Chelsea and then suddenly play LEC, so it's been like a constant transition, uh, and they never had the downtime. So I think that all plays into it. I think for now, what we have to fix gameplay wise, and which you also you also address is basically be less reliant honestly on card picks on top side of the map. Don't have to win through top side of them anymore and make the game more replicable. We play through bot lane, open up the map through Drakes, through Heralds, and then just play the game a standard way. I think having that in your repertoire is so important nowadays because in playoffs, it's not about which team is making like more plays, honestly. like That rarely happens because everyone knows everything. They have seen so much footage of you. They will always be prepared. What you have to do is like have to clean, clean macro. And then like if you have to clean macro, like one team will fumble. One team will make mistakes, and then it's about capitalizing that very moment. So, when we look at your team overall, um, I think we can see in general that there's kind of there's the top two, there's kind of origin, and then I feel like there's you, Mad Lions, and Rogue, kind of all in the midst of this very chaotic pack that I feel mm-hmm. like changes from week to week. Now, last week was a pretty rough week for Misfits. Um, yeah, I say so. We could we could uh, we could recap the game, oh. but. Uh, we could just remind everyone it was the 2K gold lead for Misfits into uh, a pretty big throw. Uh, <coughs> and then some of the most abysmal stats of all time. Um, B-Boy, for example, did 105 damage per minute uh, as Misfortune in that game. He literally only got to hit creeps for the entire game from that point forward. Uh, but of course, a game like this is going to tank your stats. So I wouldn't. I'm not taking too much from it, but I'm curious, like, that was a very tangible example of you versus another team that you're fighting for position against. Like, how do you feel about the level of your team compared to the likes of Rogue, to the likes of Mad Lions as we get closer and closer to playoffs? I'm not worried at all about Mad Lions. I think Mad Lions does a lot of mistakes in the gameplay, even though they get away with like some of those things. Um, I think us and them are really similar level. If not, I, I still think we're better because like, we just, I think we just have better players overall, and I think it's up to to the coach staff in that regard to to fix the gameplay issues or iron them out. I'm more worried about Rogue because I think Rogue and Fnatic, what they do spectacularly well is attack the early game, and um, they're also like, especially Rogue is really bot lane centric. They play from mid lane, then look for a dive like early game plays, and then Hansa and Vanda are just really really good bot laners. So I think they expose us more than most of the other teams. So I would say. Rogue is better than us right now. Um, I think we should be even or ahead of Mad Lions despite the difference in standings. I think on my end, when I think of Mad Lions, I feel like they're almost the opposite of you guys in the sense that I think whenever they play through topside, it looks like it looks very, very bad. Mm-hmm. And they've always drafted a very similar way. Orome on either Orm, GP, they tried the Aatrox into you guys and like they fumbled a couple of dives and it was like, you know, they were trying to force something that uh, usually doesn't work. I think they are the type of team that when when Kaiser and Shadow have the space together, I think they ha- take very, very good decisions in terms of how they control space. And I think this is something that uh, they do uh, better than I would say uh, you guys and also Rogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also have the issue of, uh, you know, if, if something changes coming into next week, if they're in a position where they have to play through top, I would put them as less reliable. I think... Um, the key thing for them has always been in the current state of the meta. I think they are very, very happy with the the whole simple idea of just making sure that bottom is enabled. They played the Kalista. I think that's huge. They figured out how to play Misfortune very, very early on, and they didn't play a lot of Aphelios, and Aphelios is getting nerfed. So I think meta-wise, Mad Lions is uh, looking very, very uh, well positioned to to just continue playing the same way without making any drastic changes. And I think that's a huge uh, positive uh, coming into uh, the the playoffs. And on, on the rogue point, I think they are very, very good in, in terms of understanding of, like, I think when I watch their games and I watch their previews against uh, the best uh, teams, meaning like if they play against Fnatic or G2, always, you know, the, like those extra steps that are happening in terms of like applying pressure with, 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 with TP from topside or mid or applying pressure with support in order to get prior. I think when they get prior and they get the space to like just push waves freely, I think they play very, very well. As you mentioned, they create the dives, they, yeah. they create the snowball. But then the moment there is like resistance, let's say there's a situation where they can't have that prior in mid lane for some reason, and they need to use more moving pieces in order to achieve this. They need to work together, maybe use pressure from topside because that's a winning matchup, hover into river, take mid prior, something like this. When there's more moving pieces, 
I see that they they struggle, and I can imagine that in a world where Rogue plays against you guys, and you guys are uh, a bit better, I think, in terms of playing through mid, I think this can be always an advantage, because you'll always hear me talking about anything that plays through mid, I'm very, very happy about this, because yeah. I think it's just uh, the, the best way to play the game always. If you are playing 1-3-1 from like the point where your support has, has, has boots, I think you can always control the map in whatever shape or form that you want, so... I think that's that's a huge positive as well coming into playoffs because this is something the teams will eventually have to figure out when they play against a team that does. Yeah, no, I agree. Like mid pyro has become really, really important, especially in this meta due to how the bot lane centric it is also because if you have access through mid lane, you always have access to bot lane too. And then the enemy bot lane can, can shuffle up the waves. They're getting slow pushed upon. They're getting dove. They're getting denied waves. You have entry to that jungle. You get the early herald swap. So mid is really, really interconnected with bot lane right now. And I think I agree. Like if I think honestly, playoffs will probably come down to, uh, like for example, us against Midlands. If that's a matchup, I think it's down to us just understanding humanoids, uh, like roam patterns and how to shut down Kaiser. I think Kaiser and and, and uh, Shadow, and I think that's being done for mid and for Rogue. I honestly think we just have to get a bit better at our bot lane laning phase. I think that's actually a huge issue. I think it's them because they're really abusive in the way that they actually orchestrate the uh, the bot lane. Uh, like look for picks 24/7, and then try to try to figure out how to win the lane from that. And I think if we get better than that, I think we should be more evenish against Rogue too. And then it comes down to execution in the end. I think for me, when I look at it, um, I'm always a little bit worried about your bot lane because on the one hand, B-Boy's like insane when he gets out of laning phase, scot free. Like every game yeah. where I see you guys play around top side, and B-Boy just gets to be like, I don't know, the stock standard AD carry. The man pops off. And then you have games, uh, you know, like the game that you have versus Mad Lions, where he's kind of just running around catching waves. He's not getting a lot done. And I feel like while Mad Lions have been spending this entire time prepping Misfortune and playing Misfortune, now they're busting out the Callista. I feel like you were a team that really benefited from Aphilius. No, just leave your bot lane on Aphilius, Tom Kench. You could live there forever, and your top side could do whatever they want and not really have to worry about your bot side getting punished. No, I agree. I agree with that. I think um, like that secondary they carry, like, and we've seen that we've been experimenting with that, and I think uh, hopefully come playoffs, like we'll have that in mind. Maybe even a third AD carry, but there's definitely still champions that weren't quite sure yet if we want to pull them out, like like against weaker opponents, if that's actually worth it, or if we want to save them for playoffs. So I think um, there's definitely still some room to grow for us, and there's already been improvement in that regard. I'm excited to see what more looks like, uh, and just in general, what more of these spicy picks might look like. Obviously, you can't share, but I'm ready to see how deep the team maybe, maybe is going to go. Uh, no, I oh, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, I mean, I always... That's real. That's real spicy. It's so spicy. Holy so God. spicy. Ooh. Wow, Ezreal. Oof. Oof. Resident sleeper. Uh, okay, so looking out of this discussion, we've kind of talked a lot about the the bottom three of the top six. I guess if that yeah. makes sense. You guess you call it middle of the pack. I don't really know uh, how to refer to it. Four, five, six at this point. Um, but I am curious how much you guys think the current standings line up to actual team skill. So for a recap, GTW Sports, Fnatic, and Origin are tied second. We've got Mad Lions, sole possession of fourth currently. Uh, Misfits and Rogue are technically tied. Um, yeah, they have the head-to-head. So if the split ends at this point, obviously they're going to get it. But currently you guys are tied. Um, how closely does this actually mirror? Because right now, Mad Lions are like clear fourth, uncontested there for now. They have some solid head-to-heads against a lot of the other uh, top teams. You're obviously 1-1 with them. Rogue is 1-1 with them. But you kind of, I feel like you, when you're talking about Mad Lions, Maurice, put them down a little bit further. Are they are they like the sixth best team in playoffs, regardless of their seeding? Are they, are they the worst team that we expect coming into these playoffs? Uh, it's, I mean... I would say individually, yes, like compared to all the other teams, I feel like they're just they just don't have the player strength right now. So I would put them down there and I think in playoffs, like I think a lot of the Marco will be kind of honestly analyzed more so by other teams and they will be um like it will be put to light to a certain extent what they're doing. So um I think they are the weakest team. I think we're now then the fifth best team. I think Rogue is fourth, uh third, I think OG is, like is is quite right there. I think Fnatic and G2 are actually interchangeable. I think both like both teams are extremely good. They're just good in their own right. Uh, I think Fnatic has just looked weirdly off off tempo. I would say against G2, where 
for some reason they feel urged to make too many plays at the same time and suddenly they lose the game or that if inertia they're going for even though the game was already won so Fnatic punishes mistakes better than G2 I would almost say where the early game is a lot more solid uh, but G2 is just better at analyzing mid to late game um, situations where it's more about the in the moment kind of decision making that is required to uh, react to that now Yamada there's a lot to unpack there because Maurice you just you gave us a lot there so first off how do you feel about Maurice's ranking Let, let's start there and go from there well I think like currently what we saw uh, most recently I would put Misfits sixth but of course I don't know what's going on uh, on the inside camp of, of of Misfits I don't think it's such a, a strange assessment because this last week was very rough and the identity issues but uh, I think this is something that can change because of the the mid lane point that I made earlier I'll put them sixth and then um you know, for me, it's really weird between Mad Lions and Rogue because I can't imagine a world where Rogue would win against Origin, Fnatic, or G2. I think they would struggle super, super hard against these teams. I would see Mad Lions being able to upset maybe a game or two against these teams, but then I would see put Rogue in the light where they will always beat Mad Lions. So it's hard for me to put four and five. It depends on what you prefer the most. It's like, uh, you know, Mad Lions are probably better off getting fourth because maybe they can cause some damage, you know, maybe they can take a game or two off of uh, G2 or Fnatic, depending on who chooses what on the seeding bracket. But uh, uh, Rogue, I think, would win uh, against Mad Lions uh, always. My biggest worry now against Oroma, I think, uh, looking at their games where they won, I think he always got away with murder uh, against the top teams. Like there was one game where uh, they played against G2, like the first game of the season, he played Orn, that turned out to be really busted and OP. And there's a lot of scenarios where I think Oroma is just... Uh, I think in coming into playoffs, a team like G2 or Fnatic, when they sit down and really prepare for something like Mad Lions, I think they're going to eat them alive. So as I'm speaking loudly and I'm making this assessment, probably I would just put Mad Lions fifth and uh, Rogue fourth. And then 3-2-1, uh, uh, I would... Um, I, I think you made a very interesting, compelling point there about uh, G2 Fnatic. I think uh, I am inclined to put G2 first, but I think the games that they showed throughout the season, definitely, I think the last one that they played, Fnatic should have won that. That was very, very strange. It's it's so hard to to watch those games, G2 and Fnatic, because it's so obvious that there is so much emotions at play. Like even the players talk about it. It's like, it's Fnatic, they need to beat this team. There's so much on the line. They need to make it clean. They need to make it hard. They need to go all out. And... Uh, I think it shows because I think both teams look very strange uh, in, in the way they play. Yeah. Uh, the, the last time they face each other, Fnatic definitely should have won. Like maybe they can scale super hard with Jana or whatever, but I think the adaptation of, of the Predator boots on top was super, super insane. I thought that was like really big brain and they got ahead and they had this nice composition. I just think G2 is more resilient to any potential meta changes that might happen throughout playoffs. I think they are also very happy that the Felios is getting nerfed. I think that's a big plus. And uh, I think uh, they also have a lot of uh, uh, weapons that they haven't showcased completely yet. I think uh, the Talia one is, is quite interesting. Maybe they can play more things on bottom. They have the Syndra bottom as well. I don't know. I just feel like G2 can get uh, a bit more funky in terms of preparing for best of fives. And I think that's why I want to lean towards it. And uh, I'm just worried as well when I think of who is meta-dependent, I'm just looking at Nemesis the most. Luckily in 10.6, like TF is getting buffed uh, a little bit at least, <laughs> or whatever. You know, Nemesis, if he's playing Assassins, I'm like, oh, I don't like this. Like the Akali, 10 games of Akali or whatever it was in playoffs that looked really, really rough to me. When he plays Mages, when he plays Cassio in a good matchup, when he gets to play like split pushes and he's playing a role where he needs to just um, pay attention to the map, I think he does this very intelligently. But when things are beginning to like happen through him, whether it's an assassin matchup that is forced or something, then I am uh, less convinced with with Nemesis. So I think the, the perks advantage is uh, what I'm leaning towards. So G2 would be my first and Fnatic second, but it's very close. I agree with that assessment of, of Maurice. So this is one of the most asked questions over like the last, I don't know, pretty much every week on any thread that I, that I look at on Twitter or otherwise is, is this the closest that Fnatic and G2 have ever been? 
And then there's also stuff like, is the region getting worse because Fnatic are closer to G2? You know, people trying to like extrapolate and take things as, as far as they can. But I'm curious how you guys feel about that. Is this the closest that G2 and Fnatic have ever been? Because this isn't a 1-1. There's no tiebreaker here, right? This is a 2-0 for G2 over the course of the season. The games might have been close. But last last season, we got two full best of fives. Is it going to be? But that was like chaos, crazy game five nonsense. Like, is this going to be the strongest form of both of these teams that we've seen yet or the closest form rather coming into playoffs uh i actually don't know i actually, i it's hard to say i think i mean yeah it's too hard it's too hard to say i think last year they were just like slightly closer because of the fact that um the strategies that Fnatic had per se were a mo- lot clearer to me i would say where i'm like okay I'm trying to figure out how to beat this. It's really hard to beat. Uh, what would you do against it if you're G2? And I think a lot of the times G2 didn't even know what to do. So I think this year it's been slightly more pronounced in the way uh, like how Fnatic plays uh, and how G2 plays. I think they've been slightly more clear about it. Um, and I'm like, I think G- G2 has, has more answers to what Fnatic is doing than last year. Though I still think they're really close. I think, I think on my end, um, like looking back at the series between Fnatic and uh, G2 when they went to 10 games, I felt like Fnatic was in their best form of the whole year. And I think G2 was in uh, their best form of the whole year in 2019. G2 yeah. in summer looked re- really, really wonky. Like we had a lot, like we won a game against them when they picked Garen. Like they, they barely gave a shit because they just, just came off, off of MSI. And it makes sense that they're taking it easy. And I think coming into playoffs, they got kind of shocked by the level of Fnatic. And I think this kind of kicked things into gear and then uh, the, the rest is history. Right? So I think I think G2 looked very weak there. Fnatic was in peak form coming into playoffs and going into Worlds. They continued the same pattern. I think the key thing for me with Fnatic is um, I think when, when they played against G2, they had a very, very predictable way of playing in the sense that most of the time, their efforts are going to go through the bottom side because the wave management of, of Reckless and Hilisang is just the best. Uh, it's, it's clearly, clearly the best. They do it wonderfully, very, very good. And even though this is predictable, it is so good that it doesn't matter. It's like, what do you do against, right? Yes. And uh, I think in some cases, there were uh, game situations where you needed to play through top, you needed to play through mid, like uh, Caps wasn't having the best series. And this is something that Fnatic couldn't really adapt to on the fly because most of the jungle pressure just went to bottom because this is where the comfort laid. And I think when they, you have matchups top that are like Kled and Jax and, and these explosive matchups that might shift because G2 forced it through some kind of draft adaptation, then I think uh, uh, things uh, looked rougher for Fnatic last year. And looking at Fnatic this year, I think they are more flexible in terms of adapting throughout the series their gameplay. I imagine a world where they actually play through mid now. I imagine a world where they actually play to top. Um, in the question of are they closer than last year, it's 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 hard to to make that assessment because of you know. I think G two in peak form was still much much better than Fnatic in peak form last year, much much better. This year, I can imagine it's different. But then I ask the question: Is Fnatic and G2 close to peak form? I think G2 is very, very far from it as well, yeah. because they are testing with caps in bottom side and so forth. And I don't know what their approach is going to be to this playoffs. Are they going to view it now? Okay, week nine is over. We're going to practice super hard. We're going to figure this out. We are going to plan to stomp this. Then I think G2 could look very, very lethal and and better than Fnatic. I think it's all about their approach. So it's hard to like answer it straight on. Yeah. It's also weird because we've got this entire kind of this asterisk over the whole thing, which is we're playing it online. Yeah. You don't know. Like if it if it was regular spring playoffs, we'd be asking this question about G2 anyway. But because it's it's regular spring playoffs plus all online, it's like twice as many questions to ask, twice as much reason for, for G2 if they need to take a break somewhere to relax. You know, we've talked to them a lot about how they're kind of taking it easy. Maybe that changes for playoffs. We'll have to see. Um to kind of round out and work to more towards the end of this discussion, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the matches that are coming up this week, kind of the matches that really matter. Because uh, Maurice, while you're like, hey, I'm pretty comfortable that we're like we're like fifth place right now, we're right behind Rogue. I feel like you guys have the most 
unfortunate situation because despite being tied with Rogue, you don't own the head-to-head, and you also have to play G2 this week. Are you? Do you feel like resigned to sixth place at this point? Like, what's what's the hope for breaking through? You know, power rankings uh, are not quite equal to the standings, so I think I'm fine with getting sixth place and then beating whoever going to face in the first round of playoffs. Hopefully, it's going to be my line. So. I think this week obviously is a bit tough because of T2, but we also don't know the level because the last time we played them, we also beat them. So uh, I think it's like a week-to-week thing where some weeks they look better, some weeks they look worse. The reason they've looked better, but I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet like I wouldn't entirely bet against my luck, but I think it's like a like 60-40 for them, 70-30 maybe. Mm. Now the other thing that's interesting to me is that it's kind of like if you want to play Mad Lions, the only way that happens is if. You, you're expecting that Mad Lions lose to both Fnatic and OG. Yes, I'm curious. I expect that. I'm curious from you, Yamato. Is there like, is there any shot here for Mad Lions? Because look, it's like fourth place versus the two teams tied for second. I uh, I don't know. I think it's 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 best of ones, right? So anything can happen. I don't want to like uh, deny that possibility. I am leaning towards you know obviously the better teams winning, but anything can happen. Best of ones is just the element of it. Uh, I think uh, Mad Lions definitely this 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 weekend. Even they were saying themselves that uh, you know uh, the stage jitters were, were easier to deal with. Uh, I think I think the form they they showed uh, was was decent. I think against uh, you guys specifically, like they fell super far behind because they tried something different with the whole top play and and so forth. Like uh, Razork was was all over the place and getting frags uh, everywhere. So it's like always Mad Lions is is like even within a game quite inconsistent, but then it kind of settles down when it comes into the later parts of the game. Uh, there is a world where it happens, but uh, I am doubtful. Yeah, Rogue's got a weak schedule, no? They play, I mean, on paper week, but on paper week, yeah, they play SK, which worst team in the league expected to beat them. Uh, they play Schalke, which might be challenging, but you would mm-hmm. still, I think, favor them to win. Uh, so Rogue's pretty solid. The only issue is, is if they're tied on scoreline, I believe they're, are they 0-2 in a head-to-head? No, they're 1-1 in a head-to-head, and Mad Lions' win record in the second half is actually super good, which is the second tiebreaker criteria, so they'll win that tiebreaker. So basically Rogue, not 100%, because I don't know all the scenarios, but they essentially have to finish ahead of Mad Lions uh, yeah. in score to win, because they do not win out on the tiebreaker. Okay. So... Well, you need- well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> I, I, as I said, like I think it, it doesn't matter as much like what happens like honestly before playoffs either, because as Yamato has put it, like the best of one scenarios can be really volatile. I think you don't quite know what to expect a lot of times because of the week of week to week adaptation. It kind of worries me though, though in general, like for the sake of playoffs and for the competitiveness that there's only one week break basically, so it's basically just another regular week. So. Uh, like how a lot of teams are going to adapt if we're going to see like more and more meta changes between the weeks, if there's going to be an established meta for playoffs or uh, what's going to happen, right? So, um, yeah, like that's the only thing I'm thinking of where may- maybe this is going to be the wild part west and every single week we'll see like complete different things happening because everyone is playing online. Like the solo queue has been terrible due to the fact that everyone has high ping right now, like in whole of Berlin, like 80 ping, can't even scrim- like play properly solo queue. So, uh, maybe it's just going to be like certain niches in the in the in the scrim schedules where, for example, one team is scrimming one team more and suddenly developing their own meta that works against that meta, you know that kind of stuff. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be the Game of Thrones of, of playoffs basically, where like like you'll you'll have like the I don't know, then it's just maybe it's us and like whatever is fourth third place going to scrim against one another and suddenly we're going to have like uh, our elephants coming in, you know. So we'll see how that goes. It's it's, it's always it's always tough before. Uh... Like if you if you reach playoffs, you you play week nine, and then you have four game four days until you play playoffs again. I think, like in a lot of cases, you have like oh let's just get to playoffs and we'll figure out everything. <laughs> and it's like you come into come into that practice week where you're bleeding and ever like it's just you're soaking and it's just everything is is in shambles and you're hoping that that is the week where where everything kind of falls into place. And in, in my experience, it's very very difficult to pull off. I think uh, right now, this week and next week, uh, what teams are going to showcase, I think, is going to be very similar to what we're going to see in playoffs too. That's uh, so what we mentioned before, like teams that uh, were relying on, for example, Aphelios. Aphelios gets nerfed. I don't know how bad it is now. Like he has a slight steal early on and 
less damage, so maybe it uh, puts him down in prior, or maybe he just keeps getting played. Who knows? The champ is, is weird. And uh, the teams that play Misfortune are, are favored, maybe Varus, maybe Ezreal, who knows? You know, it's like, what are your, like, what have you gathered over the split? What do you have to show for yourself at the end? Because I think we're not going to have, like, some miracle changes. Like, this week of practice, just we popped off and everything landed. The ping was only good in our gaming house, so we were uh, mm. screaming out. You know, I don't know. I, I doubt in this limited amount of time that there will be, like, miracle changes. I never I'm know, it's a glass fiber coming in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think weird is the best way to describe it. I'm not sure what to expect at all. I'm also, I'm, I'm slightly more concerned coming out of this conversation, Maurice, that you also don't really know what to expect. Um, AD ping solo queue, everyone's playing from home slash office slash whatever. Uh, it's going to be the weirdest playoffs of all time. But before we get to playoffs, there is week nine of the LEC, which starts tomorrow at 6 p.m. Uh, we're continuing to work behind the scenes on improving the LEC and Euphoria from home. So thank you again for uh, joining us for Euphoria episode 11. Thank you, Maurice, for coming on. I'm pointing at Maurice. You can't really see where I'm pointing, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for joining us. You Thank you as well, Yamato, for joining me as always. Um, this has been Euphoria episode 11, and we'll see you next week.